1: In a world brimming with resources and online databases, finding strong cards for your commander deck can be as easy as picking up stones off the ground. But Magic's card pool is deep, tens of thousands of cards deep. And for those willing to delve beneath the surface through the endless caverns of cards below, there are great rewards. Once you sift through the chaff and sort out the unplayable fool's gold, undiscovered diamonds lay in wait. Any one of these hidden gems could be the crown jewel of your new favorite deck. But mining through all the options takes time. That's why this episode, we've done the dirty work for you and excavated the mines of magic. All to deliver you are obscure and underrated cards.
0: Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder
1: Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. And I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a 1000 miles to find this obscure car. All right. Oh it was lower.
2: I think we lowered it somehow it felt low there at the end. <laughs> I was just waiting for another da 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 da. <laughs> da, da, da 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 da. Oh, gosh. All right. Sorry to blow out your eardrums because you are watching/slash listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. We've had right. to sing in a while. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, but today's topic: obscure and underrated cars. Did you know that there are over 20,000 or nearly 20,000 cars that are legal in Commander? And it's tough to know them all because about half of them were released this year. <laughs>
1: That part's not in the script. But That's it is script. very yeah, true. Yeah, true. Uh- <laughs> yeah, there are a ton of cards, so you can't really be expected to know them all, which is cool because it gives us the opportunity to talk about some obscure and underrated cards
2: maybe you haven't heard about. Yeah, they may be even sitting in your collection, but you just didn't realize that they're actually pretty cool and maybe you should think about them using them as in commander.
1: So, yeah. So, of course, if you want to get your hands on any of the cards that we are about to talk about, yeah channelfireball.com slash command. That is our affiliate link, and it is also the best place to go to buy your magic product, singles, anything at all. Double Masters just came oh out. You know you want to get your hands. Those cards, a lot of them are not obscure. Not obscure <laughs> yeah, at all, we glad. <laughs> Smothering Tithe, you still want those cards. Uh... Dominaria United, of course, is coming up next. We've Mm -hmm. just had uh, Commander Legends, Baldur's Gate. If you're like us, you probably aren't all caught up on that stuff. If you want to get your hands on any booster boxes, bundles, Commander decks, anything like that, ChannelFireball.com slash command. Their marketplace really is the best place to buy sealed products. I find the best prices there, and they get you stuff the fastest because everybody you're
2: dealing with on that site is an LGS. Yeah, and especially because Double Masters seems like it's a very in-demand product. I've been looking around online, and ChannelFireball.com slash command is where I've just been going to. It's reliable. I've done all the rest of my shopping there. And again, you're supporting a local game store while you do so. Yep. And then, of course, once you get your hands on those Double Masters and you open up the Dockside Extortionist, you want to immediately put it in
1: to an Ultra Pro Eclipse sleeve. Yeah. You want to protect your cards. You want all your game pieces to stay in pristine condition. That means Ultra Pro is the game accessories company that you want to use. It's the one that Jimmy and I trust our own collections to. Every part of my collection. (laughs) Yeah. And we really can't give it higher praise than that, right? Like, we have a lot of cards. You've seen them on game nights and stuff. We don't want our collections to get damaged. Ultra Pro really does protect our stuff. The best out of anybody out there. Plus, they have really cool things like wall scrolls, they have really cool dice, like anything you need to go along with the game of magic, they've got and they probably got the best version of it.
2: Yeah, and they have a new site that you can use, shop.ultrapro.com slash command. You can just directly order a lot of the stuff from there. I just got a bunch of new binders to help with my collection, Uh, and they have products that are constantly on sale. They'll always do a sale for even Father's Day, Memorial Day, July 4th, you name it. There'll be a sale going on, and it's a great way to stock up on the stuff you need and protect the cards that you love. Yeah,
1: shop.ultrapro.com slash command is our affiliate link there. And then, of course, the final way to support all of our content is directly if you go to patreon.com slash Command zone. Woohoo! All kinds of cool perks. Jimmy and I have been playing a lot of spell table the last couple of months. The most magic
2: I've been playing is on spell table with
1: our patrons. It's really no fun because you can see a lot of decks out there. We get to yeah. interact with our patrons. So every single month we've got a schedule posted and different members of the command zone team, always Jimmy, always me, and then a rotating Ashlyn, Lady, Murph, Craig. Jake, Jordan, Craig. Yeah, if you want to yeah. get killed by Infect. <laughs> uh, being part of our Patreon, access to a lot of perks, including the spell table, but not just that. There's Discord server. There's There's early access. There's exclusive content. If you haven't heard of Turn Talk, it's a a show that we're releasing only for the patrons. So lots of cool stuff there. Patreon.com slash Command Zone is the place to go to join that.
2: Yeah, and also there are different tiers for everything. So make sure you check out the tiers, see what suits your fancy flights, your fancy, whatever that word is, and sign up that way. And of course... We shout out one lucky patron every single episode, and Final this episode is,
1: is dedicated to Ricardo, Ricardo Cruz. Cruz. Ricardo, you, you rock. rock. You do, you do, you
2: do. All right, okay. let's get
1: into this main topic. It's a fun one. The last time we talked, it's talk, a fun-yan. It's a funyan. <laughs> the last time we talked about underrated cards was like four years ago. Yeah, I was looking. Yeah. So the, I don't know about you, Jimmy. But the way I kind of do this is over time. Every time somebody kind of plays a card against me, that I'm like, whoa, that card. I've never even heard of it. Or wow, Holy that's crap. doing a lot of work. Yep. I take a picture of it on my phone and I write it in a little notepad, and so I get this long list eventually of underrated cards. I mean, spoiler alert, I only use about half
2: my list, so I've got yeah. a lot left. I got a lot left too. Uh, but yeah, I do the exact same thing. Craig was the first person I saw doing that, and I was like, Craig, why are you taking a picture of the card? And I was like, actually, that's a great way to just remember it, because yep. I always look through my pictures and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, so there's a ton of very good cards. We don't see them on the battlefield very often. A lot of the cards we're about to talk talk about. it's It's Because either people don't know the card exists or they know it exists, but maybe haven't evaluated its proper potential or whatever. Yeah, and it could be better today than it was even four years ago when we first did this topic. That's actually a really good point. I think there's a number of cards on our list that uh, maybe weren't actually good four years ago, but because the format's changed in multiple ways, they've sort of become good. I like that. Much, much better, yeah. Two of them,
2: especially for me.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) it's time to sort of, this is fun for us because it's our time to shine a light maybe on some cards you haven't heard of. So what we did is, Jim, made a list of some cards and I made a list of some cards and we're just going to alternate through our list and talk about uh, the cards. So, Jimmy... Yes. You
2: can start. This is a really good one. Yeah, I really like this one. Yep. And also, because some of these cards are a little older, we'll make sure to try and read the Oracle text for it when it does come up. But for the most part, we should be fine here.
1: Yeah, and most of these, I will say, are fairly inexpensive because they are obscure for the most part yeah. and underrated. Not all of them. Some of them are old enough that any card from that era is worth a little bit of money. But yeah. for the most part, these are going to be you know more budget, which is nice.
2: Yeah, this one is not, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But it's a great card, and it will continue to be good. It may even be the kind of card that you hopefully get to see more of in the future. But it is Tower of the Magistrate. It's a land that says you can tap it to add a colorless mana, but you can also pay one and tap it, and target creature gains protection from artifacts until end of turn. Okay, so... It's from
1: a creating mass, which is why it's like $18. Yeah, yeah,
2: old, old card. Uh, now, there's actually a really similar card in green called Telagila Defiance. That's like a cantrip for one in the green that does the same thing, and you've got to draw a card. But this goes in any deck. And specifically, we've talked about this in the past, but when you give a creature protection from enchantments or artifacts, any enchantment aura that's on that creature, if it's enchantment protection, or if it's an artifact protection, if it's equipped, for like, for instance, it will fall off the creature.
1: And it's target creature. I didn't even think of this when you put it on the list. So yeah. they
2: have a sort of Feast of mammon on their creature you target their creature and then all of a sudden loses it It, you can do it at instant (laughs) speed did somebody do this to you no fortunately (laughs) i don't play that many equipment but i saw this and i was like i die all the time to a pro black and green thing or whatever it is and like sometimes they're and the big thing is too a lot of decks these days are committed to just suiting up one creature with five things and so being able to drop all the artifacts off and make them waste that mana that they used to equip especially in the middle of combat when they think you're not gonna be able to block or whatever really really powerful yeah, and there's also just a lot of artifacts running around that are going to you know target your creature in some way or interact with your creature. So any
1: mm-hmm. artifact creature, you can just freely block or attack into, right? Like if yeah. they've only got artifact creatures, well, you can just swing in, give protection, and you're unblockable. Yeah. Protection means that you cannot be blocked by creatures of that type or color, and it also means you can't be dealt damage by effects that are from artifacts, right? So you can yeah. block something, give it protection from artifacts. Doesn't matter how much damage they're going to do, you won't take any.
2: Yeah, and I've seen people use Meteor Golem a lot in colorless decks to up mm. Permanent. You know, there's lots of Spine of ishaw. So Tower of the Magistrate helps protect your creatures as well as affects your opponent's creatures. So I like the double utility there.
1: Yeah, I really did not even think about making their equipment fall off. Oh, yeah, it's brutal. You it, could and you can off. do it in response. So if they go to equip skull clamp onto something yes correct you can oh well that equip is an ability that goes on the stack so you can give the thing protection from artifacts <laughs> in response and then the equip can't happen can't
2: even happen yeah and you w- you may want to do that for someone that's trying to do hex proof or uh, uh shroud because once the equipment is on then the creature is itself is hex-proof and right. shroud, so you can't you can't make a swiftfoot boots fall off yeah yeah but you can definitely make a lot of the swords fall off and that's big game turns out those swords tend to swing a game, especially if someone gets one connection in with a feast and famine. doesn't even need to be swinging at you. It could be going at someone else.
1: Yeah, sword of feast and famine is very similar to getting an extra turn every time you you hit somebody. And, And also, it turns off a lot of removal, so this would be a way to sort of take that sword away so that you could maybe then remove the creature even mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool
2: yeah and, and this again is the kind of card that will just have more uses in the future because more equipment are going to get printed more powerful artifact creatures right you've seen just how many cool artifact things have been happening recently red and white has gotten a hold of a bunch of new uh tools and yep. stuff more equipment decks than ever so this is the kind of card i like as well goes in every kind of deck and you're just going to find a use for it you maybe even be in a game and go wait a minute. Oh, I can do that right now. And that's, right. I love that value of sort of underrated cards in that world. Especially if it's on, since it's on a land. So it doesn't really yeah.
1: cost you much of a slot in your deck. I think if you're in like a five color deck, you don't have very many lands like this you can run. But in a two color oh, deck yeah, or a monocolor <laughs> deck, you have a lot of utility lands you can run because you're not worried about sort of having access to your colors. Yep. So this can be almost a free include in, in decks. So I really like it. Very cool. Yep. Yeah. All right, my first card. Jimmy, this is a card I think we've both been playing more in our Game Nights
2: decks. Oh, it's almost in every single blue deck I can run it in now because it's pretty good. (laughs) So one of the ways that, and this is not a card I took a picture of when somebody
1: played it against me, but one of the ways I think that you can find cards that are really good that other people are not using is to look for cards that are color hoser cards. Mm, Right. Because those are usually balanced for um, 1v1. So a lot of times if a card, like, it only works against red cards, like, it's like um, Red Elemental Blast, which is yeah, a ton Pyro of play, blast. right? Yeah. yeah. They only target blue cards, but because what the effect they give is basically a counter for a counter spell, you know, and it also can remove creatures and things like that. Right. Um, in, in a 1v1 format, it's a lot more dicey to play a card like that because you don't know if one, if an opponent's going to be playing blue, and because you only have one opponent, the chances that your opponent's playing blue is much lower. Yeah. But So these are sort of cards that are improperly weighted in our format because you're more likely with more opponents to have more colors represented at the table. Mm -hmm. So this is a place to look for cards that are going to overperform what they were designed to do because you can sort of say, well, in almost every game, there will be a player playing green or something like that. Yeah, the chance of this being turned on are pretty high. Right. Um, So my card is Submerge. It's four and a blue for an instant. It says, if an opponent controls a forest and you control an island, you may play Submerge without paying its mana cost. Love that. So it's a free instant that does put target creature on top of its owner's library. And zero mana. As long as an opponent, it doesn't have to be the opponent of the creature that's controlling the creature you're targeting. Just one of your opponents has to have a forest and you have to have an island.
2: By the way, it could be a, a dual land as well. It could yeah. be a shock land. It doesn't need to be a forest for us,
1: basically. Right, it could be a mm-hmm. Um, So yeah, you just have to have island on one of your um, lands and they have somebody, one of your opponents has to have forest on one of their lands. This is a bar that is very easy to clear. I would mm-hmm. say like 95% of games, <laughs> maybe even higher
2: have that situation like uh they meet the criteria you're controlling half of it too you're playing a blue deck you're probably going to have an island and it's just up to anyone at the table literally anyone else but you to have a forest of any type and then submerges free
1: is one of the players playing the most played color too (laughs) because green i think is the most popular color you can argue um whether black or blue are in that conversation as the most powerful colors and i think maybe blue has something to say about that. But regardless, I think green is the most popular color. Is the color that you see the most often. And also I love that it's in blue because blue is the color that draws the most cards and can most afford to have a dead card. It's not that big a deal. Oh, you can yeah. probably loot it away. You're not going to be like, oh, I only have two cards in hand, and one of them is submerged. I have nine cards in hand, one of them (laughs) submerged. If there's no green player, big deal. One dead card doesn't hurt me that much. It's
2: not even dead. It's just at the at its worst, it's a five mana vanishment type effect.
1: That's a good point. Which you're never
2: going to cast for five, though. It would feel so bad. It would. It would totally lost is the card that I think is the closest comparison. I like this card in Paco and Haldan because you get to play the card off the top of their library. But again, in response to them equipping it, in response to them trying to do something nuts with the card, that you can just whoop. See ya for no. Mana, the no mana part is so, so powerful no mana. because so often,
1: and the way i die I tend to die a lot in commander games is uh, you know, I don't see anything scary out, so I feel that it's safe to tap oh, out, oh, yeah, and then something I didn't account for, something with haste or whatever uh happens, and they're able to kill me in a moment when my shields were down, yeah, I very rarely feel like I lose with Mana up and answers available, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. always when I've decided like, okay, i'm gonna uh, I'm gonna mm. stick my neck out here develop my board, and, but I, I'm going to have to shields down to do that. Um Submerge protects you in those moments like Force of Will or something would. And like you said, I think it's more powerful than most people think. Most people think, well, they're just going to draw it next turn. <laughs> that might be too late. In Commander, that's such a long time. So much longer than 1v1 yeah. where it's like, hi, hey, then I'll go and then they'll draw it. But in reality, a Submerge a lot of time is like, then their opponent will go, then their next <laughs> opponent they'll go, then but I will go. go, then they'll draw it. And by that time that card might not even be good anymore where it was devastating before
2: yeah so many times especially if they've cheated it out yeah if they've done something to get it out in in terms of faster and i've also seen that people can use this on their own stuff a lot of times Mm. cards are depowered or underpowered by having it say put target creature and opponent controls on top of their library. there are times where you may want to do this to your own thing because you have a draw engine and you draw it instantly and play it again you get that ability again so there are it's like a much slower and more expensive blink but Again, you can play it for free, and the flexibility is great.
1: And if you're really worried about it coming back, you can also time this oftentimes with like a fetch land or something they crack yeah. to make them shuffle it away. So, a lot of times somebody will play a fetch land, crack it, and you go, in response, I'm going to submerge the thing. And now they got to shuffle it into their deck when they uh, resolve the fetch land trigger. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, you That's can do that rough. with tutors and things like that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Submerge so is a very, very good card. I've noticed on your lists, and I'm definitely putting it on a lot of my uh, blue decks on game night. So. It's hard not to play a card that says play it for free. Yeah, it has a very useful ability. M- removing something at to the top of someone's library is removing it. It is yeah. roughly equivalent to destroying it. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Okay. Very good, love that card. All right, next up is a oh, we card. should say oh, I, I, yes. we didn't say this for the first two. Tower of the Magistrate was in zero percent of possible decks on EDH. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that is, it may be like zero point one <laughs> or zero point two, but it's basically zero.
1: Yeah. not main decks are running it. It yeah. wasn't in zero decks, but zero percent of decks because it was yeah. so low that it didn't meet the one. You didn't even get to, to one, yeah. yeah,
2: Submerge though got to one percent of possible decks. So
1: one so percent of decks that have blue are running submerged. So I think that counts as underrated and yeah. obscure. Yeah, this one is at two percent of possible decks. <laughs> That's so. still very
2: low. I don't know. It's twice as many submerged. <laughs> uh, this. My next card is Bolt Bend. So this is three in a red. Uh, For an instant, it says this spell costs three less to cast if you control a creature with power four or greater. So it could just cost one red man to cast. And it says change the target of target spell or ability with a single target. So this is a budget Deflecting Swat. Yeah. Now, Deflecting Swat is better because you can cast it for free with your commander out. And Deflecting Swat specifically says that you can actually uh, target the spell with multiple targets. Yep. Uh, Whereas Bolt Bend is specifically a single target. But a lot of commanders out there, if if you're in red and your commander is going to have four or more power, typically, this is a very hard card to pass up, I think, because this effect just for one red mana, right? We just talked about Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast. Those are one red mana spells that are even more niche, I think, than uh, what Bolt Bend is doing here. And Bolt Bend, again, especially if your commander wants to dodge removal or a bunch of different things. So I like this card quite a bit. It was only printed one time as an uncommon in War of the Spark, and it's amazing for one red mana you get to do what deflecting swat is and i don't even want to talk about the price of deflecting swat well yeah that's what i was just looking i was curious like what is the price
1: discrepancy because we're comparing it to deflecting swat because it's very similar and i think it's like what 92 93 percent the same right Yeah. most of the time you use deflecting swat it's on a single Single target target yeah um once in a while a thing has multiple targets and you're just deflecting one of the targets but i'd say most of the time A lot of times it's on a counter spell. Um, You're taking a counter and making it counter like something else. Or itself, yeah. Yeah, making it counter the Deflecting Swat is usually what you want to do, which Bolt Bend can do. Yeah. Um, So it's very similar to Deflecting Swat. Deflecting Swat uh, is $42. (sighs) And Bolt Bend is less than 40 cents, 38 cents. So that price discrepancy is huge for uh, a card that is functionally very similar. Obviously, one
2: red mana versus zero mana. That is a difference. Yeah. But it's not a huge difference. And again it is a little more specific The deflecting swat if you have your commander you can play it but again bolt bend you're doing it a lot for the same reason i put deflecting swat in decks where i don't want the commander to get removed when i the instantly I, when the instant i play it in
1: some ways the bolt bend uh, requirement is a little easier to hit say than deflecting swat because only your commander can hit the requirement for oh, deflecting that's a good swat point. if your commander has 4 power or greater and you have other cards in your deck that have four power greater, you suddenly have you know, maybe seven, eight, maybe ten creatures in your deck that
2: can also make Bolt Bend cost less, not just your commander being out. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I would say Bolt Bend in the, the decks that like it is going to be able to play it for one mana way more often than Deflecting Swat in decks that can only use the commander to reduce the cost. A lot of times, let's be
1: fair, Deflecting Swat is there just to protect your commander, though, yeah. so it'll Bolt Bend will work the same way in those cases. Still, yeah. I think the comparison's fair,
2: and yeah, Bolt Bend definitely... Definitely very good. Yeah, red-green decks, gruel decks, monster decks, uh, animar those types of decks all will have commanders that have big uh, power and toughness. And so as a result, you're going to want to be able to turn on Ferocious. And to the same degree, Stubborn Denial is a very similar card, um, which cares about creatures having four or more power. So if you're in that kind of deck, look at the battlefield and go, hey, wait a minute, there are a lot of four-powered things here or a higher, then I think you should really consider Bolt Bend.
1: All right, my next card is sort of similar philosophy because it is a color hosing card right. um this one's called compost it's one in a green for an enchantment uh i will read the oracle text whenever a black card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere you may draw a card wait the original no? <laughs> yeah the original card does not say from anywhere it yes. just says whenever a black card is put into an opponent's graveyard but the front anywhere definitely matters because like you said mill um It would matter if they discard a black card. So it doesn't care why the black card's hitting the graveyard. If it is, it's black, and it goes to the graveyard, you draw a card, and it's not one or more. It's each black card that hits their
2: graveyard, you draw a card for. Blue-green mill deck, mill the black player, draw a ton of cards. Sounds pretty good to me. I mean, if you're (laughs) playing
1: mill and you're in green this becomes extremely powerful because you're causing the mill that's causing you to draw the cards. Yeah, so there's definitely ways for you to... and, And it's similar to Submerge. I think black is probably a little bit less played than green, but at the same time, it's a very popular color, and most games you're in will have some one player at
2: the very least playing black. And the black player is much more likely to be playing like Stitcher's Supplier or, or want to be on a mill Sir thing. Sir Conrad right? or something. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, Like they're going to incidentally want to be milling
1: just because they have a lot of recursion even if they're not like dedicated to that strategy. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I like so that. even just destroying a black card it going to the graveyard will cause you to draw a card here. It doesn't have to be through mill or discard but when they are playing those strategies or you have those strategies you're making them discard or making them mill mm-hmm. all of a sudden this becomes a very powerful draw engine and I've seen people draw you know 20 cards off of this thing you know that's a two mana enchantment too so the
2: cost is very low of just casting it early yeah and it's a feel bad to get rid of it especially if you're not the player that the green player is benefiting off of um so a lot of times these types of effects this will sit around way longer than the sylvan library or any of the enchantments that have you know on its face just like you gotta do x cool things with it so compost is is i think underrated because again people just think oh black well you know when who knows if that's going to happen in this game i should include a cooler creature over it but a lot of times it puts in work yeah i i I think,
1: too, like, there's a lot of times when it will cause your opponent to have to be careful about what they're doing and hamper them in a way that you can't even necessarily tell is going on. Oh, right, because they're stopping themselves from, oh, I'm not going to do that. I yeah, I don't want to dredge cards. or mill or myself a bunch, because they might draw five or six cards, so right. I'm going to play in a conservative manner. So this is the type of card that can really, like, hurt your opponent without you knowing it. I think anytime somebody's playing black, you're happy to play compost, and if they're playing mill, discard, something like that, then you've really, really hurt them. They either have yeah. to ignore this and probably make you win. Like, we saw, spoiler alert the game nights episode with lexi for commander uh legends where i was trying to win with my uh little combo but i couldn't afford to pay for a success during that whole thing because i you know i i was trying to go you're trying to find the one thing to get I'm trying to get thing. enough yeah. mana to really go off and if i'm every time i'm <clears> recasting <throat> something i have to pay the mana then all of a sudden i'm not mana positive but it really cost me in the end to let her draw so many cards so that can be a thing that you know happens with compost as well yeah i like that a lot this next card you've got, I was really happy you put it down. And when I saw it on your list, I was like, "Crap, I should have put that on my <laughs> list because <laughs>
2: I I, I've first. started
1: playing it uh, lately." I put it in my Shurikai deck, so, oh, it's yeah. a go. Yeah, it's great in that deck. Oh, yeah. my gosh. so yeah. I, it's funny that we we found and like Submerge was one I put on my deck, but I know you've been playing, so it's yep. funny we found some of the same
2: cards. Yeah, this one's great. It's uh, called Argivian Find. Get it? Found? I found it. Uh, it's really simple. Did you <laughs> in- get it? Yeah, you know, it's not a joke. <laughs> but did you get it? But it was funny. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was... Uh, let's not go that far. <laughs> uh, so it's one white mana for an instant. It just says return target artifact or enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. So, Ozgear the Reconstructor, Rogue Rack, Wyleth, these are all brand new Boros commanders that care about artifacts. You just talked about Shorkai Genesis Engine, which is a, uh, again, artifact commander with white and blue... Being able to return specifically an artifact enchantment for one mana at instant speed reminds me of cards like Noxious Revival, Regrowth, Return Regrowth, yeah, of Witness. Yeah, and they're all incredibly good, especially because often artifacts and enchantments are the things that people can easily target the most. They, they get rid of everything at once with a being in progress or whatever it is. So being able to regrow it that quickly with one white mana seems pretty big game. It basically is a replacement spell for one of your best artifacts in your deck. Because you know someone's going to get rid of that sword that you have or whatever it is. and. Yep bringing it back that quickly, end step, or whenever you do want to do it, pretty good. I would say that the
1: the format has been... There's so many powerful cards, and because we're restricted by the... You can only have one of each card. Yeah. The ability to have a second copy of a card is very strong, and our Give and Find can function... You know, similar to a tutor later in the game as well. Oh, because right. once your graveyard gets big enough, you're really choosing between a lot of different cards when you cast it. Yeah. So if you think of Argivian Find as like, hey, after turn seven or eight, this is choose the best artifact or enchantment out of, you know, ten of or so of them,
2: right? Whatever yeah. ones I've played during this game. It doesn't even need to be artifact or enchantment. It could just be you're in the artifact deck or you're in an enchantment deck. But having the I mean, it could even be that it's your turn someone removes it, you just buy it back for one man and replay it again. I've know? definitely used it on like Smothering Tithe.
1: So cast oh, Smothering yeah. Tithe, you know, first player goes, you get the treasure, second player goes, and the third player's like, oh, I got to kill that thing. And you're like, cool, on your end step, I'll use one of the treasure created to return <laughs> to my hand and then I'll just recast it on my turn. And it's like, oh, and it's back where we- Breaking because the other two players didn't remove because they didn't have enchantment removal. Now it's just
2: going to stay. The person's not using a second enchantment removal spell. They may not even have it. That could have been their only thing in their deck to do that. Yeah. It's very good just because, again, cheap mana, it's very useful artifacts and enchantments are such high targets these days, especially enchantments, but even stuff like the Great Henge, I, I just find that they're magnets for removal, and you only have some, and sometimes I even find playing Eternal Witness and Great Henge again in the same term, that's four green mana. That's a lot of mana to get that thing back out there, so having a one white mana way to fetch it back up is really important. Uh, we
1: should say that um, our Give and Find is in 0% of possible decks on EDHREC. Wow. And Compost was in only 1% of possible decks uh, on EDHREC. So, yeah, definitely obscure and underrated. Yeah. Or underrated. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. My, what are we on, third one? Yeah, I like this one a lot. My third one is in 0% of possible <laughs> decks on EDHREC. It is Holistic Wisdom. It is one green green for an enchantment. You pay two and remove a card in your hand from the game. So exile a card from your hand and then return target card from your graveyard to your hand that shares a card type with the exiled
2: card. Yeah, so artifact, creature, enchantment, instant land, planeswalker, sorcery, and tribal are all card types. So you can exile a land to get a land back. You can exile an artifact to get an artifact back. You can also exile an artifact to get an artifact creature back. That's right. And exile a creature to get an artifact creature back. Right, it just has to share one of the card types and it has multiples.
1: I'd like the editors to put regrowth up on... Screen, which is a card that is, was restricted in the old days, uh, is very powerful. So I still play it in some decks. Regrowth Time Walk, the old, uh. <laughs> Yeah, great combo. So regrowth is two mana to get any card out of your graveyard into your hands. This Holistic Wisdom turns all the cards into your hand into regrowths, kind of. Kind of, right. Yeah, obviously they have to share the card type, but most decks lean towards one card type, right? Mm-hmm. Most decks have mostly creatures or mostly artifacts or mostly enchantments or mostly instants and sorcery. Right. So, you know, there are decks, of course, that sort of split between. And if you split between, I think it's not that bad either because you can, you know, you're going to have uh, three different card types in your hand but three different card types in your graveyard mm-hmm. so you can choose so i sort of see this similar to fauna shaman survival of the fittest yep um in it that it can turn the cards into my hand that maybe aren't as useful right now into the useful cards that
2: are in my graveyard instant speed for two mana yeah not just that i think people forget that lands you know getting a land back people always do crucible of world strip mine this is kind of in that world sure a you could bit, do it <laughs> right where you can just not you're, you're or you're getting back someone blows up your field of the dead um someone gets rid of something that you need even if it, it could even be like hey i accidentally milled the card i need now i can actually get it back through this process instead it's a little bit more mana intensive but being able to grab stuff back i think add instance be like you said it's similar to our giving and find it, it just gives you that juice you need to keep going
1: yeah, if there's those key cards, those really strong cards in your deck, the best cards in your deck, we always talk about that, right? Yeah, like, what's yeah, the best card yeah. in my deck? The Skull clamp or whatever it is. Holistic Wisdom gives you a second copy of that card a lot of times and just has incidental value. You'll just be surprised when you have it out how often you're like, oh, I'm going to trade this card in for that card. I'm going to do that. That trade is like you're you're gaining an advantage because for the situation you're in, You know, your deck's well-built and everything, but in different situations, different cards are good. And to be able to turn this card into one of the cards that's better in this situation for two-man and instant speed is often a price
2: that you're able and willing to pay and can be the difference between defeat and victory. Yeah, and always, anytime you get a a chance to use your graveyard as a second hand, it's always a good time. It works really well with looters. You're drawing cards and discarding them, and all of a sudden you go, you know what? Even though I discarded it, there's a way to get it back. And like Josh said, if you are an artifact deck, it's great. If you're a creature-based deck, it's great. You don't need to be all of the types of cards to make this work out. You just are going to naturally be sort of have it, uh, way towards one anyway. All right. Nice. All right, next up is... I a, feel like we
1: talked about this card once, like, a, a year ago for five minutes, and we've never, it, never discussed Never mentioned it, it
2: again, yeah. Now, this is in 2% of possible decks on EH and uh, from oh. my notes next to it, I just wrote, duh. So, that's that's how why I feel it's so underrated. Uh, it's Galazeth Prismari. So, two blue and red for a legendary creature, Elder Dragon 3-4 Flyer. When Galazeth enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. But, more importantly, the enchantment part of Galazeth Prismari is... Artifacts you control have tap, add one mana of any color, spend this mana only to cast an instant or sorcery spell. You just turn every single one of your treasures into lands in an instant or sorcery based deck. This is amazing, because then when you untap the next turn around, you can just use the artifact as a treasure and cast something else with it. But if you are just looking to make a ton of treasures and they're untapped already, you're basically adding instant speed lands uh, to the battlefield, which is really, really freaking good. Blue-red doesn't have amazing ramp opportunities. This is a way to turn every single treasure that you make to do that.
1: Yeah, now, just to clarify, you're talking about playing this in the 99, right? Yes, like, in the not, 99. Now,
2: yeah. this could be a great commander, too. Right. Uh, I, I, and I, I totally could see a spell sling deck that is now heavily treasure-themed. We know now that Wizards is not playing on slowing down the printing of treasures necessarily anytime soon. So there's going to be more and more treasures, and artifacts will always be printed, and now you're giving not just your treasures, but any artifact you have the ability to turn into. it. Even an equipment can now tap for a mana, right? So there's a lot of utility here.
1: Yeah, it almost fills a role close to, like... Um, Stormkiln Artist or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it can be sort sort of a similar... You can have redundancy at that slot. Bergy. I mean, mm-hmm. I think those two cards are a little bit stronger, but Galazeth can kind of fill in for them. Allows you to do things, not just treasure, right? Tap your equipment now for mana. Yep, Every Tap your food tokens or clue tokens and things like that for uh, mana, which is a, a pretty big deal. Obviously, mana only casts instances of sorcery, so I think you need a Spellslinger deck that has... You know, 25 instances and sorceries put together. But once yeah. you get to that point, then this feels like it's gonna be pretty powerful. Yeah, I totally forgot this card existed. Yeah, I know, right? So could, like, I've built multiple Spellslingers decks since Strixhaven, and I don't think I've put this in any decks, and so now I'm like, <laughs> yeah.
2: I should have, for sure. Yeah, it's one of the deans, too. I mean, the uh, it's one of the, the dragons that is, like, the, the head dra- of yeah. the schools, yeah. It's one of those cards where I think you can play it, and all of a sudden, your board went from, like, six total mana to, like, 12 right. total potential mana. And 20. Yeah. yeah, and that is the kind of, and you can even use that mana to cast spells that make more treasures or whatever it is, like Brass's Bounty plus Galazeth Prismari. Seems like you just can win the game. Yeah, it changes from, I have a, a decent amount of mana to, oh, I'm going to win now. Yeah, I can now do everything I want to, and I have all these treasures. Now, keep in mind, when you tap the treasures, you can no longer use them for their treasure ability. But it is turning the treasures instead of one-time use artifacts just basically into pseudo lands. Yep. And you can
1: interact with them by maybe untapping them and things like that would yeah. suddenly become a lot better.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this next card is nuts. I've never seen this before. And so, so somebody hilarious. played this
1: card against me at uh, Command Fest Vegas, which is how oh, it got okay. on my radar. Very and nice. it was devastating <laughs> to me personally because they played it on me. Uh, it's in 0% of possible decks on EDA Trek. It is called Suppress. It is two and a black for a sorcery. Uh, I'll read the Oracle text. It says Target player exiles all cards from their hand face down. Wow. At the beginning of the end step of that player's next turn. What? That player returns those cards to their hand. Wait, I thought oh wait, I didn't even see the
2: next turn part of this.
1: Yeah. So, I mean it's sorcery, so it's supposed to be like you play it. Oh, okay. They set their whole hand aside, they have no hand anymore, and now you can do whatever you want because you know they can't cast any spells because they don't have anything right. in their hand. And then when it gets to their next end step, then they bring it back. Right. So they only get to play for their next turn with whatever they draw, you know, for draw <laughs> and yeah. So somebody did this to me at Command Fest Vegas, and they did actually. To be fair, they did it with a uh, ley line of anticipation like Ooh, during speed. my upkeep.
2: Wow. Yeah. So, yeah anyway, so, you had to wait a whole another turn rotation to get your hand back.
1: Yeah, at the end of that player's next turn, next right? So turn. not this turn. Oh man. Yeah. So, and it also it, it so it kind of works like a silence. Yeah. But it it's it can be better than that because it can turn them off for the entire rotation of the table. And that's I was ahead in that game and it was kind of an arch-enemy situation and the right. person was like, "Don't worry." i will shut josh down and then we will get back in this game or kill him and i was like what and they go boom and i'm like what the hell card is that yeah (laughs) and so i have no hand and just your effects on board yeah and i'm like okay uh go and i can't do anything and they know it and by the time it got back to my turn i think i think i was dead by the time i got back to my turn that or like i was basically dead i just just remember like the game like i was done
2: in the game yeah wow that's that is brutal because typically these types of effects are like, oh, they just get the cards back. But like you said earlier, it's not just one turn you're, you're having zero hand for. It's, it could be multiple turns. They cast that instant speed if they had the Vidalcan Ori or a Leyline in this case. So that really could hose you. That seems like a, a great sort of like this card I feel like works in a lot of situations where maybe your deck is not up to par with someone else's. But doing this to them really can put them out.
1: Yeah, and it's a signal to the other players. You're like, I am helping to defeat this player, but my card doesn't hurt them directly. Right. It opens the door for you to hurt them. So you can also kind of use your other players. Like, okay, I've shielded down the them, but you yeah. got to use your stuff on them now because they're going to get their cards back. Hoo-wee. It, and it kind of does time walk them in a way. Obviously, there's some downsides. If they have a lot, a large card draw engine or something going on, then they can easily maybe draw back into a hand, even though the, yeah, the yeah. hand they had is sitting over there. So
2: that part's kind of a drawback. They but can they have have to redo all their plans yeah i'm sure you had the plan with your hand you knew what you wanted to do you knew how you're going to continue your dominance of that game or whatever and now all of a sudden it's like no nope, sorry you gotta start from zero
1: yeah i had like you know you have some removal spells and you got some counter spells and you got
2: responses and things like that imagine you have a teferi's protection and they do this well well do you cast it now? Uh, yeah, right. Like, that seems like a waste, because you're going to still get a turn, you're gonna still going to draw, but you're just not going to have access to all the cards you have in your hand, especially if you have a really big hand. Ooh.
1: And if they were you were going to do it in response to something, so they blow their Cyclonic Rift or whatever, now you're just doing it, and they're fine, I'll just wait till you come back and then I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you kind of lose that. So yeah, this, and I, I feel like a lot of Commander games, and maybe it was always like this, but it feels like more so these days where there is one arch enemy mm-hmm. at some point in almost every game, where decks are just powerful and enough now that one of them will grab the table by the hey, throat yeah. by like turn five or six and so there's always feels like, okay, we got to knock this player down to get back to parity. And then we can try and, you know, Play scrum H- for the game. Yeah. That feels like it happens more and more. And suppress is a great card in that situation. Because like I said, it will solve it sort of, mm-hmm. but it it still requires the help of the other players. Whereas if you think about a card that was just like destroy that player's board, it's almost worse because you go, boom, okay. And then the other player go, players go, cool, kill you now.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Whereas if you go suppress, they're like, okay, cool. I got to still do some work to hurt that player because they're going to come right back. It's going to be a missed opportunity otherwise. Yeah, I mean, they're just going to be as scary if I don't do anything right now.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting because it doesn't just force action from you if someone's casting it on you, but it forces action from all the other players too, which is... Really interesting. Typically I would see that opportunity and go like, Okay, cool, they're focused on each other, I'm gonna do this thing or whatever. But in this case it really does open the door and especially if you've been the arch enemy, it's gonna incentivize players. And that incentive is creating incentives for other players to take is definitely a political maneuver to, to to use in commander. All right. This next card is one of the cards that
1: I don't think probably was very good f- four or five a years while, ago. yeah. But, but it's super good
2: now. <laughs> and we've seen this come up a lot in discussion as well online and on Twitter. People are slowly like, is it time to finally play Viridian Revel? Yes, uh, it is. And I think so. Yeah, I think we got to the point. So Viridian Revel is one green green for an enchantment. Whenever an artifact is put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield, you may draw a card. So may ability, but more importantly, hey, Treasures, looking at you. Try Clues. Maybe food. Probably not food. Treasure.
1: Treasure. I mean, we've been talking a lot for, I'd say, the last, like, ever since the start of the year when we did the deer um, magic design team, and we talked about how treasures are too prevalent, we think, now in a really warped of format in an unhealthy way. Yeah. and. I think that is true, but, like, sitting around whining about it is not a great response, (laughs) because we don't design the game, right? There's only so much we can do. Um, Complaining is one of them, but it doesn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah, I think another step to take is to be like, okay, so now that I know this, how can I respond to it in my deck building? And this is a card that, like, okay, you play Dockside, you know, you do the thing, I might draw into my Force of Will or whatever, Or or even
2: if I'm not tapped out, I might draw into the removal spell that I need. Or I'll just incidentally draw three cards every turn rotation because someone's cracking a treasure or something else is happening. An artifact is just dying, right? There's lots of different ways that artifacts can go to the graveyard, but treasure is the most prevalent now, I think, by far. I mean,
1: we were saying this uh, internally recently how we can't remember the last game nights or extra turns where some treasure wasn't made. Oh, yeah. Like, it is ubiquitous to the point where basically every commander game, you need treasure tokens on hand because someone's going to create some treasure from something. There's just so many cards that do it now. So it's hard to imagine the game where Viridian uh, Revel gets played and you don't draw at least a few cards off it, even if they're not doing the sort of combo off with Dockside thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. This reminds me a lot of like Phyrexian, um, what's it called? Uh, Just the one black, black draw for arena arena, right yeah and that's pretty slow we talked about is it too slow now and viridian revel for the same mana value is potentially way more explosive and can even late game right it might even be better on turn five or six when you play it because someone's got six treasures lined up and they're going to just you know they're going to use the next turn or they're going to use it you know at some point and that's six cards off of that at one time think of whole decks like corvold decks and things like that that just rely on the treasure
1: smothering tithe like think of what this does I would say in the average game, what would you think, Jimmy? Uh, cast on turn three. Okay. Uh, Phyrexian Arena, over the course of the
2: game, going to draw you more cards, or Viridian Revel? Oh, man, that's tough. I do believe that it's probably Viridian Revel, because, again, every single player could be using treasures. If each player only cracks two treasures that for the next you know, five turns or whatever, that's six cards. That is that is
1: more than probably Phyrexian Arena is going to draw you because the games are going to go to about 8 or 9. So yeah. the maximum it's going to draw you is 6. Um, where Viridian Revel, I believe, will in most games draw you more than that. And, you know, like you said, now let's talk about the scenario where you draw it and you play it on turn 6. Phyrexian Arena
2: is very bad there. Yeah, you
1: only gonna get 3 or cards. Three cards. Yeah, yeah, But
2: this you may get a bunch because someone's going to have their big turn and they need to crack 7 treasures to get there.
1: Yeah. And you can also choose not to play it in that in that part so where you maybe wouldn't play for x arena either yeah 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 but it's just like okay there's no treasures i'm not gonna play this and i think green is another color
2: that's card draws in a good enough spot where like it doesn't care that much if it's got one wasted card yeah yeah so viridian revel <laughs> it took a while uh we i remember <laughs> the first time we mentioned it maybe was a couple of years ago and we we're like yeah it's good but it's not that great now it's definitely surpassing into the great area i think and it's probably going to keep going that direction. There's going to be some diminishing returns, but it is the best that it has been ever at this point in the game. I've started looking to put like
1: Collector Ufi and things like this in my deck oh, to man. really... Oh man,
2: yeah. Just because starts... you have to, you have to respond.
1: You know, it, like I said, you can complain about the amount of treasure there are out there in the world, but that's not doing anything about it. So yeah. responding with your deck building is really the way to go. Yep, there you go. All right, so that is halfway through our obscure and underrated cards. That means we got half to go. We have some really cool stuff that I'm excited to talk about coming up. But before we do, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well,
2: All right, we are back talking about underrated and obscure cards that you may not have heard about, but would be a great addition to your Commander decks. Uh, we have, we're, we've done half of them. We've got a bunch more to go and some really exciting ones in this list. This first one up is from Josh. Is it time, Josh? <laughs> it is seed time <laughs> alright
1: uh, this is in 0% of possible decks on EDH Rec. it is not super cheap I believe it's around $9 or so yeah, you can that's get some, because
2: it's from Judgment so it's yeah, an old card. card you can get some heavily played in like more damaged versions for much cheaper as well So, uh,
1: but it is an obscure card that you don't see on the battlefield very often it's another color hosing card seed time is one and a green for an instant play seed time only during your turn take an extra turn after this one if an opponent cast a blue spell this turn
2: Seems pretty likely that an opponent will play a single blue spell, and you get to take an extra turn right after that one. And think of Pyroblast, Red Elemental Blast. These are cards
1: we deem good enough to play, yeah. and for the most part, they are meant to be used in counterspell situations. Now, they can be used to destroy things that are on the board, and I do see them used sometimes that way. But if you use that same logic, saying that I need to, that like, it's a prevalent enough thing that blue spells are going to be cast that I need to deal with that I can play a card that only cares about blue spells then Seedtime time fits that bill and the payoff for this is arguably better than pyroblast
2: or something yeah an a extra s- turn for two mana and instant speed a, and all they have to do is someone casts a brainstorm or a counter spell and typically the thing that you want more than anything else after someone counters your big thing is to get another chance and Seedtime time gives you that opportunity even if you're holding it in your hand you're not playing it no one plastic cast a blue spell during this turn great cool just play your turn out and pass it but in the case that someone does do something, even if it's just an activated thing off a, a spell that they what whatever it is, not activated ability, they cast a spell, then you're able to just get a free turn out of nowhere. That could be really backbreaking. Think about the
1: situations too where you're worried about a counterspell. Yeah, so you change your play to sort of play around it, or try and bait it out, or whatever. Seed time becomes a situation where you flip that on its head and you say, man, I hope they have a counterspell. Yeah, I hope they do something. And you play out your scary thing and it's like, well, if you do something about that, then I, I get an extra turn. And if you don't do something about that, then my awesome thing
2: happened. Yay! Yeah, so you get a, I get uh, it's only uh, upside upside on both sides right right so again forcing action really important i remember one game i sat there and i told everyone i had cryptic command right and i told them that hey look if you're trying to attack if you're gonna attack me tell me and i'm gonna tap all your stuff down and i was able to virtually cast that card five times or whatever because no one just was like fine whatever i'm just gonna swing at you jimmy and there's nothing you can do about it or just you have to cast the card yeah and so if you're forcing people to do anything which is like i want you to counter this i want you to play that thing then you're you're essentially adding a little more control to the table they didn't have otherwise and see time and a lot of the cards we actually talked about today are doing a similar thing yeah really like this card yeah, good. Uh, not gonna
1: lie, it has hurt me on occasion when somebody else casting against me because I am oh, a blue yeah. player often.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why you just don't play counter spells, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> or instant speed. Oh gosh, how dare you! Um, all right, next up is Glaring Spotlight. One mana for an artifact. Creatures your opponents control with hexproof can be the target of spells and abilities you control as though they didn't have hexproof. And you can pay three mana, Sacrifice, Glaring, Spotlight. Creatures you control gain Hexproof until end of turn and are unblockable this turn. Okay, so we, we've we seen a lot of people play uh, Heroic Intervention. Yep. This is a colorless version of that in a way. Not indestructible, but it will give your creatures Hexproof. For three mana, and it gives them unblockable as well, which is to me better than Rogue's Passage. Um, yep because you just you have it on an, a single... It just costs one mana. It removes Hexproof from your opponent's creatures for you specifically, and it gives you the second ability. So I think this is one of those cards that may be a little more meta-dependent, but if you find that you're running into problems, oh gosh, it's, they're always Hexproofing their stuff up, I can't get around it. This has a lot of use, because the second part of it is a protection spell for your own stuff, and occasionally a win-con. And the first part of it is just Gravy and can hose a deck that is trying to get around all your removal through Hexproof.
1: Yeah, it is such a low cost to have in your deck because it is a one-man artifact yeah that does something
2: and that even if the hexproof thing never comes up, the unblockable thing could. Yeah, and typically you only want to activate Rogue's Passage once, and that's how you're winning the game, is by giving your stuff unblockable one time. So, And it costs so much man to do it, and it takes, you know, like you have to tap the Rogue's Passage too to do it. So I like the having it on something that's just one-time use. That's probably all you're going to want to need it for anyway, and it's going to do the thing for you.
1: Well, the other thing is a cards like this, because of Threat of Activation, have a tendency to protect your... It's kind of like the Crypt Command thing. Yeah. It'll protect your creatures in situations where you really wouldn't want to pay and sacrifice the thing, but they don't want you to do that. So they're not going to go to swords to plow or thing. If you have three mana open. Yeah. Cause they're just going to waste the swords. I see on the board, the answer to what I'm about to do to you and you see it too, obviously. So it's going to feel so bad to be like assassin's trophy. All right glaring spotlight for your thing that they'll just be like now i'll remove this other thing instead rather than make you use the glaring spotlight so that you know they have shields down for later most people won't play that
2: way yeah i wouldn't yeah (laughs) i would go for the bang for my buck right i wouldn't force someone else to do something like that because i want to remove a card i put that card in my deck for a reason josh i'm gonna remove something else with it and also like you I may not want you to not have that because I may want you to have the
1: ability to remove a hexproof thing because one of my opponents might have a hexproof thing that you need to remove yeah exactly so I, it might not even be to my advantage to have you not have that on the table so that's another reason I might not want to go to remove your thing because there's a thing with lightning greaves over there that Mel's got that I want you to oh, deal with oh that's shroud
2: though right you can't huh? do that
1: oh not shroud yeah, sorry Yeah. yeah. Hex, uh, uh, swift, of swift of boots, boots. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's only hexproof yeah you're right yeah.
2: but anyway I think there's it's, it creates interesting tension yeah. for your opponents there's yeah. enough going on with this card that i think it is worth it people play you know cards that are one man that are just like uh you know just get rid of someone's graveyard you know so this has that same aspect to it it may be a little more meta dependent but the second part of it is almost like heroic intervention and that can be extremely good because again it's just fizzling things and making sure that your stuff is protected
1: yeah we used to it's funny because this is a card i'd say falls in the category that we used to see it more often and it kind of fell out of favor i think because voltron decks became less um Less popular. Mm-hmm. However, in their place has be has come all these really powerful commanders like Coma uh, or oh god stuff like Tulane and Corvold and things like that, which are these these insane. If you untap with them, you'll probably win creatures. And most players are trying to f- protect them before they get on board. So have that Swiftfoot Boots already out, or have a way to protect them. And mm-hmm. and if that protection is hexproof, this is a way to kind of get around that as well. Yep, I like it. Cool. All right. Oh, we should say Glaring Spotlight. 0% of possible decks on oh EDH Trek. Yeah. All right, the next card, my card is in <clears throat> 1% of possible decks on <laughs> EDH Trek. We've been pretty good so far with none of them being like even... Too high, yeah. Yeah, even... even we haven't even had one that's 4% or above, so... All right, uh, it is Fury Storm. I've won so many games with this card, it's insane.
2: Yeah, it's really good, especially with all of these partners running around now. It, yeah,
1: it is just a card that will steal games out of nowhere where you have no chance to win and then suddenly somebody does something and you're like, I'm going to win now.
2: <laughs> yeah, thank you.
1: All right, it's two red red for an instance. When you cast this spell, copy it for each time you've cast your commander from the command zone. This game, you may choose new targets for the copy. Let's pause there because Jimmy mentioned partners. It will add up the number of times you cast your partners total. So you've got, let's say, Vile Smasher and Kydell mm-hmm. You've cast Vile Smasher once and Kydell once. That means when you cast Fury Storm, you'll make two copies of it. You'll have three copies of Fury Storm on the stack. What does Fury Storm do? It says copy, target, instant, or sorcery spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So let me run this down. Somebody casts Exsanguinate, thinking they're going to win the game, or Torment of Hailfire for 32. And you go, okay, cool. I'm going to cast Fury Storm, Mm -hmm. and you're torment of hellfire for x equals 32 will now turn into three torments of hellfire for x equals 96
2: and they resolve first
1: yeah so you'll be dead and yours will never resolve yeah and then i win yep i've won multiple games because of exsanguinate and
2: torment of hellfire from my opponents yeah from your opponents yeah yeah it's hilarious and also by itself two red red just copy target instant sorcery spell and you can choose new targets for the copy Right, we've seen Fork be really effective in the past. So this is also a way to go infinite with tons of different cards. But in the cases that Josh just talked about, it can be a way for you to just steal a game from out of nowhere because you just have the, oh, gotcha moment. And you could, of course, copy your own spells, which you want to be in a deck that
1: has spells it would like to make four copies of. So maybe you're going to cast... Uh, you know, an expel, a fireball, or something, or even like an expropriate, or something, right? And you're gonna hold priority and make four copies of it, and oh, that's gosh. gonna win you the game. You want to have that option available to you. But the amazing thing is that Fury Storm is so flexible. It also just is a counter spell, right? Like if they mm-hmm. go to counter your thing, it's expensive, but you can save your stuff a lot of times. Being like, cool, I'm gonna Fury Storm copying your counter spell. There's counter spells are gonna, you know, my counter spells are gonna cop- uh, counter your counters. We're gonna be fine here. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it. It just. It's hard. I I know people think it's expensive and they don't tend to play it, but there aren't very many cards where this one card with nothing else will just win me the game in situations where literally no other card would do it because if my opponent just makes the wrong
2: misstep, which how could they know? Yeah. uh, It's over. Well, they know because they listen to this podcast. (laughs) They're like, hold on, Josh is holding up two red red right now. That sounds like a fury storm. He's playing partner commanders too. Yeah, again, we're only going to probably see more partner commanders in the future, which makes this card just get better and better. And the fact that more cards like Exsanguinate will probably enter the sphere at some point means that this is going to have more copies. They're never going to stop printing incense or sorcery spells, especially ones that have big impacts. And so Fury Storm, again, it's just a great way. If they're casting an eight mana spell and you're doing a four mana one to copy it twice, you're getting 16 mana worth of spells instead of them. Well, no, they're still getting it, but you're getting it first.
1: I had a game in Command Fest Vegas. They uh, miracled a temporal mastery. Oh my gosh,
2: no freaking way! Yeah, and I oh was like, cool, I'll take three temporal gosh. masteries. <laughs> oh man, that's gross. <laughs> the whole table was just like, ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm even doing that. I wasn't even there. Yeah, that was yeah. just that was just ball game. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so huge swings possible with cards like that, and it, ultimately ways to win the game.
1: Yeah, that's I like those cards too. That like they present you with ways to use them that you could never have planned for. Yeah. Just in the moment, you get the eyes light up of like, oh, Uh, now I can do this. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. All right, next up is a card that I picked called Shard Convergence. It's three and a green for a sorcery. And you may think, again, it costs a lot of mana, but it it does a lot here. So search your library for a Plains card, an Island card, a Swamp card, and a Mountain card. Reveal those cards and put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. So four mana, draw four. But not just any four, draw four Shocklands, draw four Triomes and Duels, right? It's not specifically basics. So this, to me, is um, especially in decks that are, again, turn one ramp, turn two ramp, turn three Shard Convergence. And they're playing Dry the Lilliputian Grove. We're seeing that Oracle of Mal is coming back in Double Masters. Uh, there's that Raptor, the 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 dinosaur that lets you put labs lands out as well. I mean, swordtooth, wayward swordtooth, sword, yeah, wayward sword tooth Yeah, lots of effects these days allow you to play extra lands, yeah. and especially in decks that are playing multiple colors, like four or five color decks. I think shard convergence is just a great budget and underrated and underplayed way to just get every single land you need, and then hopefully get to put them on the battlefield because of all the different effects you have to do that now.
1: Let me ask you, do you have to be in a five-color deck to play this or if you could only find three different lands with Hmm. it would you be willing to play
2: it? I would say, I mean, if you're really like, I think three-color decks are stretching to play it, but I think five-color decks are the ones that obviously want to play it the most.
1: Yeah, I think in five, it's a four-mana draw four and that's obviously like a really good rate. Like in black, we're willing to pay four-mana, draw three, take, you know, uh, lose three life. Yeah, yeah. So that meets the bar there, but I don't know if it's harmonized for Mana 3, and they can only be lands if I would still play it, so maybe it's
2: only five color decks. Yeah, I just think that it's one of those things where people keep saying like, oh, it's so hard to get the dual lands and the fetch lands and all those things to make my mana base sw- uh, sing. And Shard Convergence has been around for a long time, Shards of Alara, or a conflicts in this case, and so it allows you to get all your color fixing done, and again, we have all these effects that can benefit off it now, and so I think that's just those, like the combination of all these factors, decks are playing more and more of these effects, it's just a great way to get your lands fixed without needing to worry so much about playing every perfect fetch and whatever it is. Cool, cool. All right, mine, mine's a
1: bit of a weird one here. It's Trace of Abundance. <laughs> It's one one hybrid Boros, so either a red or a white, plus a green mana. So it's two mana total, either a green or a white or a green and a red. It's an enchantment aura enchant land. If you've been around for a while, you know I tend to like this types of effects. Oh, yeah. Enchanted land has shroud. Okay. And then whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds one mana of any color to his or her mana pool. So... This is kind of like a Wild
2: Growth or a Utopia Sprawl. Oh, but it gives the land itself shroud. Because right. Because every time you start strapping up a land, I'm like, get me that strip mine. I'm getting rid of that thing. I'm going to get a five for one on Josh's crazy land.
1: <laughs> and it's a two mana. Uh, it can be seen similar to a two mana rock. Uh-huh. So it's two mana for something that adds one extra mana for you, which I think we're willing to play basically as many two mana rocks as we can fit into most decks. Yeah. Uh, and. And you can use this the turn you play it, provided you already control at least three lands. Oh, the other lands to tap, yeah. can right, because yeah. you tap two of them, put it on the untapped land, and now it only costs you one mana, basically, yeah. to play this thing. That's better than the signet sometimes, because signets come down, and you can't use them or whatever. And I'd say there's often games where there's a land you would wish to protect. So you've got a Cabal Coffers. You've got... Field of uh, the Dead. Field of the Dead. You've got a Gaia's Cradle or the Cradle of Itlamok mm-hmm. that's flipped over. Uh, you've got, yeah, it's... There's there's a bunch of different lands these Maze of Ith is a really good one in fact I really like it on Maze of Ith because it also allows you to tap the Maze of Ith there you uh, go. Yeah. Well, you have to tap the Maze of Ith for mana, so I guess you can't tap the Maze of Ith for mana unless you have like
2: an Urborg or something. But if you up. need, yeah, if you need that Maze of Ith to not just be, because typically when you add Maze of Ith to your lands, it is not count as one of your land drops, right? Or one of your lands in your deck.
1: A lot of times, just being able to protect that right, uh, yeah. that Maze of Ith will make it really difficult on players because they're going to have to get rid of that to get through to you or whatever. Um, Glacial Chasm is another good one that's good to oh, protect. Man. Yeah, if you get this on a Glacial Chasm, like the 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 table's going to grow in big time. <laughs> But there's often a land these days, I'd say, that you want to protect. And that or just at the base level, it is roughly equivalent to a two-mana rock is pretty good.
2: Yeah. It, now, you have to be in Naya specifically <clears> to <throat> yes. even play it. That's a good point. But I've been playing decks that want to add as many of these type of effects as, as possible. And the more I can find, the better. So, not to mention, it also gives you one man of any color. Wild Growth and those types of cards only give you a specific color. Right, so, it man. is. it does give you a little more flexibility there, too.
1: I will say, one thing I learned is be a little bit careful because this is Shroud and not Hexproof. So, it will turn off, like, Cures Followers and things that want to untap oh, the lands. Right. So, you just have to be... It actually doesn't go in my deck that's trying to enchant uh, one land with like three or four of these. I see. Because I want to untap that land with Fate Stitcher or whatever. And, and use it again and again. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's more useful when you've got the Cabal Coffers, you've got the got the Cradle of Itmo, Illamok yeah, the or the Guy's ones. Cradles. Or, what's the... There's the red-blue one that flips over and becomes a, a Talarian Academy, basically.
2: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't
1: know the name. <laughs> if you, you ever flip those, like. <laughs> you want to, you really want to save Yeah, man. And people will go after Those are them. all the Ixalan flip lands, yeah. Think of the game, uh, the game nights, the last one, um, Neon Dynasty with Posty, and how I, I strip mine his guy's cradle, and right. I think he probably wins the game if I don't do that.
2: So just think of how important a land can be in certain games. Yep. Yeah, Field of the Dead too is one of those lands that just runs yep. over the table um, if you're not careful. All right, the next card up. Uh, by That's the way, one. Trace of Abundance apparently is in 3% of possible decks, so there's some people that do like it.
1: I guess so. <laughs> some. <laughs> it's only It can only be played in Nia decks, but of those Nia decks, it's in 3%. That's... Uh, yeah, I was surprised by that. Well, a, it's actually our least underrated card so far. Yeah, to your point, wrong. though, it's a two mana rock. Yeah. Right. Like, that's at its floor, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: All right. Uh, this next card is Minds Aglow. It's a commander card, it's blue uh, for a sorcery. Join forces. Starting with you, each player may pay any amount of mana. Each player draws X cards, where X is the amount of mana paid this way. Very often, this is I pay one blue mana, and I draw three to five cards. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Everybody draws three to five, but. Right. But I I draw three to five, and it's my turn right now.
2: Yeah, so I like, no, this is a card that you may go like, oh, but everyone's just drawing cards. Definitely not for the competitive EDH group, but to me, I think this is like the perfect sweet spot of where I want a card in Commander to be. It lets everyone play the game but you also get to have a pretty good benefit off it at the best rate. Um, you are playing it on your turn, but you're probably drawing the most cards for the mana you're putting into it. And sometimes no one wants to pay any mana, and that's fine. That's totally fine. You can just pay one yourself. You draw one card or whatever it is. So I just like cards like this. I think they're underplayed. Maybe not as obscure as some other ones, but I do think they're underrated. Because again, again, it just helps out everyone at the table, which is fine in some groups, but gets the game going early on early play really stacks your hand up and allows you to sort of craft what you're doing a lot earlier too yeah i'd say i I don't think i've ever seen this played where nobody pays any mana yeah everyone wants to draw some cards
1: yeah there's at least one player almost always that doesn't have a land in hand or has missed a land drop or is like possibly going to miss a land drop Eh, eh, eh. Uh, or or there's one player at the table that's just their card draw they already know is not going to stack up well against the other player's card draw right and in those cases it's it's best for them to draw the cards. Because if I'm a deck that I usually play that's going to just draw a ton of cards because that's how most of the decks I build uh-huh. play, and you're in a deck that isn't going to draw a lot of cards, well, me drawing three cards and you drawing three cards at the same time is way better for you than me. I was already going to draw a lot of cards, right. but right. you weren't. It, so there, usually people make that calculation, and almost always you'll see one player who's like, yeah, I'll put three mana into it. Yeah, I need those cards. I, yeah. I don't have any other effects that do this this well. So you almost always get more cards than you paid mana into it, the downside being that, other players get cards too but eh, feel yeah.
2: a little goodwill around the table i just love this again this is like for me this is where commander i want commander to be like everyone yeah sure draw some cards and let's now let's see the sparks fly
1: yeah everybody can do stuff now right nobody's yeah. going to be in this game
2: with like oh i don't have enough gas yeah yeah and hopefully you built your deck in a way that is going to be able to tackle the rest of that because you know you're giving everyone a little bit of juice and so you know you've got your tank full but they've got theirs as well and now the game's afoot all right this next one is a card murph and i were talking
1: about recently it's called insight and i'm looking for the oracle text on it because there's Great a simple. lot of cards that have insight on them uh it's two and a blue for an enchantment whenever an opponent
2: casts a green spell you draw a card all right it's another one of those color specific cards that we've been talking about
1: yeah and this is sort of similar to compost except for instead of something needing to go to the gra- graveyard it's yeah. just your opponent any of them cast a green spell draw yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit
2: of Ristic Study, a little yeah. bit, just a little bit. But they have no choice in the matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you cast green spells, I'm drawing cards. Yeah, so in a game, it, again, based on your meta, based on what you typically see, I mean, I usually see at least two players at the table outside of myself that are playing green, typically. Um, one to two, but usually veering more to two. You're going to draw a lot of cards that game, especially if you get this out early. Holy moly. Yeah, if you get this on turn three, I, I think it would be an interesting uh, exercise for people to,
1: like, If you play a game, just count the number of green spells cast after turn three. Yeah, like you have Inside Out. Yeah, I bet you're gonna be like, "Holy crap! I would draw seven. I'd draw 12 cards off this thing." Yeah. I was playing on Spell Table with patrons uh, last week, and there was this deck, cool deck that somebody was playing where the entire deck was kind of meant to reduce the casting cost of the creatures it was casting and then get like oh. a Guardian project out, so it could just cast creatures for free and then oh, draw man. cards each time and just keep going. That's cool. Yeah, and not all the creatures were green because they had artifact creatures and stuff to reduce the cost, but... Uh, they were casting a lot of green spells in that game, and I could see a game like that where Insight draws me like, you know, 10, 12, 15 oh. cards, right? Because, and that's not a weird situation. I'd say a lot of games kind of go in the direction of somebody, often in green, just does a lot.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, because I think this is the kind of card where, again, a lot of the cards we're talking about are budget. So if you're building a deck, and let's say you just don't have an extra copy of that Mystic Remora or Rhystic Study, you could put an Intuition in there, and it's going to do... Insight. Insight, Intuition Intuition's put an, very expensive. Yeah, sorry. You can put an Insight, <laughs> insight in there, and you're pretty much doing a similar thing. Yep. It may not be to the same level, but you, you're not sad that you're not playing you know, that Ristic Study instead, I think. Because there will just be those games where you're drawing a ton, and there'll be some games where you only draw three off it, and three mana for three cards over the course of a game is not that bad either. So. Yeah,
1: and I would say, too, that the difference between Ristic Study and Insight is going to be variance. There will be some games where it will draw you way more cards than a Rhystic Study would, and some will draw you less than a Rhystic Study would. But that might average out to being similar power level over the course of 10 games. Yeah. And you're playing a $1 card in Insight, where Aristic Study is much more expensive and harder to get a hold of. And some people may just pay the one each time, too, and you won't draw as many. That's a really good point. And I'd say that the more advanced that your play group becomes, the more likely they are to play pay for Aristic Study. In our group, especially off-camera, uh, Rhystic study often gets paid for, and you you will end up drawing some, but it's not twenty cards; it's three or four cards over the course of a game on a Rhystic study, which is a decent rate, but not insane. Yeah, and and
2: of course you're taxing your opponents at extra mana each time, yep. so it is you know it add, that adds up how much extra mana is paid for that thing. But I like it. I like inside a lot. I think just like, cards like this. They haven't seen their day in the sun yet, but you probably can find a place to fit them into a deck somewhere that you're playing that they're going to do a lot of work. And again, just like Josh said, next time you play a game, sit down and just count how many green spells are cast after turn three by your opponents.
1: Yeah, and take advantage of the fact that you know that green is popular, right? Take advantage yeah. of that fact that like green is just the most popular color. It's what new players gravitates f- Towards, but it's also very powerful, so veteran players play it a lot. It's the best ramp color, it has tons of card draw, has the best creatures. Land right it's too. just often a component to very good decks. And so green is just going to be a mainstay of the format and likely to remain the most popular color unless they intrinsically change something about the color behind how it works. I think <laughs> green will continue to be the most popular color in Commander. So knowing that, it's kind of like the treasures thing. Don't whine about it. Just take it into consideration when you're doing your deck building. And the fact that it's also a budget card in addition to that um, is really great because it allows people to maybe get an effect yeah. uh, that they are having trouble replicating because, you know, the, the effect they're after is an, uh, an expensive card with a high dollar value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Insight does a pretty good imitation of Ristic Study.
2: Yeah, and again, cards that will do better over time. Like Viridian Revel, is just going to get better and better and better. Yep. All right, my last card on this list is Bioshift. In one percent, the possible. I don't know why I always remember the art on this
1: card. Like when somebody says Bio Shift, you just like see. My, it? Yeah, I just see this. Like <laughs> I
2: don't know why. It's pretty iconic. Yeah. Anyway, this is a Simic Mana or a green or a blue for an instant move any number of plus one plus one counters from target creature onto another creature with that same controller. So. You have, obviously you're doing this for your own stuff, but you could do it for someone else's creature across the board as well. Um, this came up to me originally because of Animar, mm-hmm. a deck I built a long time ago, and I was like, I don't want those counters to go away. And when the Ozolith came out, I was so stoked because I was like, oh, finally, a way to like move counters and save counters. BioShift does a very similar thing, and it will allow you to, sometimes if you're playing a game and you've got your Animar out, you've got some other big beaters, and they take out your Animar, your thing's done, you're like, oh, poop, I can't kill anyone anymore. It's like, actually, no, move the counter somewhere else. Now you have this 12-12 flyer in the air, it's going to do a ton of damage. So I think this is something I love because it helps keep up the pressure if you're putting it on. It also makes sure that you don't lose all that hard work that you put into putting counters on something. Um, And in a lot of decks, you're going to want those counters to stay around because you have another way to move them around or whatever else. So Bioshift to me is just a card that has a really unique text. You rarely see move any number of counters from one thing to the next. And so for that reason, I think it's underrated and it's probably underplayed because people just don't put this kind of effect that often. But we haven't seen this that often on Cards and that to me is a big markup as to why I like it so much. Yeah, we should say it's in one percent of possible EDH direct decks. Uh, Insight was in zero percent. Yeah, if it was just green or just blue, probably worse if it was just blue. But if it was just green, I think it'd be even better. Yeah, it, the fact that it's limited to blue green decks makes it a little bit worse. But again, I think you're just gonna find a lot of uses for this. in and there's only gonna be more cards that add plus and plus encounters over the course of time. It's probably the most common theme uh, on cards. I think. That I've seen in terms of commander, I I always see plus one plus one yeah. counter decks. Every single it's got to be up there. some support for it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'd say that what you said about the fact that these types of decks tend to do a lot of work that they front load a lot of work to get to a position where they're you know they've had some sort of engine going that creates the plus one plus mm-hmm. one counters and they've got it all onto this creature or a couple of creatures and now I'm ready to start leveraging the fact that I have all these counters by attacking or dealing damage or whatever I'm doing. <laughs> and it is at that moment that your opponent has waited for because they know also oh, yeah. what They're you're waiting. doing. They're saying, okay, cool. They've done all this work. Before that work pays off, I'm going to interact now and get rid of that creature. And Even then- just
2: bouncing it. Oh, yeah. it feels so bad. And now they have to do all that work
1: again to get back to where they were. And by the time they do that, I probably will already have a chance to win the game. Yeah. So Bioshift
2: gives you the ability to be like, cool, but I'm not losing all that work. Yeah. Right? I- my plan was just to make some huge creatures with plus and plus counters. I'll shift it over here. Yeah, maybe I over-indexed on this one. Maybe I even played into your removal spell by over-indexing on one card. You thought you got me. I shifted it out of the way. Yeah, and a lot of times those decks will have multiple creatures that want to have one-one counters on them, so you can actually gain advantage by moving yeah. them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Things like that. So. And there's lots of cards like the Sage of Fables of the World too that want the counters on there to remove to do things. So again, it's just it's there's a lot of different uses. I think the more you look at this card and ones in your deck you'll find like hey actually that would be pretty nice here
1: all right my last card is the most popular card we're going to talk about uh on this episode it is an 11 percent of possible EDH Ooh, direct decks, 11. which i would say makes it not obscure only, <laughs> only underrated and i really only thought of this card because of trace of abundance which was my the last card i talked about um no insight was Oh yeah, right. Okay. Well, trace of abundance was the card before inside. There, that you, go. there you go. Yeah. That made me think of this card, and I was just like, I still think this card is underrated and doesn't see enough play. It's wild growth. It's so good. Uh, so it's one green mana for an enchantment aura, enchant
2: land. Whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana, its controller adds an additional green. Yeah, so there are very few enchant lands that are just one mana that do this. Almost always you're seeing two mana for the effect now.
1: Yeah, so we've got like Utopia Sprawl and other things, but yep. some of those are restricted too. You can only enchant a forest. Right. They only This one can go on any lands, but it only makes green. It doesn't make any color a color of uh any mana or but it turns the land color. into two mana land. Yeah, so you can think of this if you think of trace of abundance as a two mana rock. Uh-huh. Well, this is a one mana rock. Ah, there you go. We don't have one mana rocks. You know why? That would be broken. Yeah, you got soul ring and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's just broken to have a one-mana artifact that can tap for a mana. You have a Sacrifice it for a mana, which is still broken. <laughs> yeah, Lotus pedal. Oh, no, that's zero mana. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, uh, Treasures. Yeah, Treasures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but Wild Growth is repeatable, and it costs you one mana and taps for the mana. It's similar a little bit to, like, Birds of Paradise or Land war Elves or something like that, but it doesn't have Summoning Sickness. It's not susceptible to Board Wipes yeah. and uh, Wrath of god types effects. This card, I believe, probably belongs in closer to like 30% of decks that have green in it. It is just so efficient at what it does. gives you the extra mana. Often the turn you play it, it costs you zero mana because you tap a land for mana... To cast it put it on a different land that's untapped you then tap that land and get the one mana back that mm-hmm. you just spent to cast it
2: yeah yeah and again lands are the most powerful part of magic and being able to suit up those lands people are not typically targeting those lands with any type of removal unless they're you know the cradles of the world right so i if do, i'm a strip mine i'm saving it for cabal coffers yeah uh
1: Maze of Ith. burborg maybe uh, cradle uh, something that is a feel of the dead, something that is very, very scary. You getting an extra mana every time you tap that land is not good enough generally for me to strip mine your land. Yeah, and it's putting you at a disadvantage and all the other players are going, woohoo,
2: look at Josh, he just wasted that on something else. Yeah, you're down a land, I'm down a land, the other two players are now ahead. Yeah, so this is, again, it's a safe play. If you get it early, it's great. If you get it late, it's mana equal, and then it will start benefiting you that turn after. So I, I do see, a, I think this is pretty still underrated.
1: Yeah, 11% just isn't high enough to me. I think this should be in a lot more decks. If you're not running Wild Growth uh, in your green decks, you just need a pretty good reason why, I think. Because most of the time, I am looking to run this card.
2: Yeah. All right. Okay. Very, very good. Good times. To the listeners! I bet you can guess what it is. Let us know what your super sweet tech is. Those underrated cards, those masterpieces that you have been playing, that you think the rest of the world you think masterpieces are underrated. Yeah, <laughs> some of them. No, uh, they not are the orange masterpiece. masterpieces. Yeah, yeah, not not those ones, but they are obscure, underrated in your mind in your play group. Maybe you were surprised by them. Maybe you even saw them at a Command Fest recently that you attended. Let us know in the comments, uh, tweet at us, tell us in any way possible, and we'll, we'll we'll hear it somehow. Yeah,
1: it could just be a card you play that you're like, this card's really good, and I never see anybody else playing it. Why is that? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times it's because people just don't see the potential that you see Yeah. alright if you want to get your hands on any of the underrated or obscure cards we just talked about or maybe you want to get your hands on a nice uh, collector's booster or maybe oh, some man. just booster packs double of masters. double masters firewall.com slash command that's the best place to go to get your magic products singles anything at all They really do have amazing prices on sealed products specifically because everybody on their marketplace is a local gaming store, which means they're part of the WPN network. Mm -hmm. They're part of the distribution network. They get really good prices on their sealed product, and uh, they pass on those prices to you because they're competing with each other because it is
2: a marketplace. So Channel Fireball really just has become where I go to get all that stuff. Yeah, you can also just enter the promo code command at checkout, and you're going to still be supporting the show. But most importantly, get the cards you need, especially some of these underrated cards. And the cards may be underrated, but that does not mean that they're not valuable. So make sure you protect them, put them into an Ultra Pro sleeve or go to shop.ultrapro.com slash command, check out their amazing selection of deck boxes, of dice, sleeves, play mats, all sorts of things to add onto your magic battlefield. Um, either you're going to put it into an awesome new folder to go and trade these underrated cards at your local game store with your friends, or you just need to put it into a brand new sleeve because your old ones are getting a little old and you want to get that nice new Eclipse gloss going to really see that foil pop out. Either way, it's what Josh and I trust the most. And now they have an amazing store that you can check out or you can go to uh just to any game store that is around you and they're going to have some ultra Pro product there but a huge selection at shop.ultrabro.com slash command i've been going there pretty much every other day to see what they have i poke around just to see what stuff. the discounts are because they change quite often it's nuts you there can find some really good deals many i was getting things for like 50 off i was yeah. like
1: holy moly yeah so it's great great deals there shop.ultrabro.com slash command all right, big thanks to our amazing editing team here at the Command Zone: Damon Lens, Shauna Gillis, Arthur Metalcroft, Ashlyn Rose, Lady Danger, Manson Lung, Craig Blanchett, Josh Murphy, Jake Boss, Patrick Nam, Jordan Pridgen, Sam Waldo, Garav Galati, Truck Tide, Jamie Block, Mitch Trafford, and
2: Evan Limberger. Woohoo! And big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, as always, for doing the Living Card animations that start our show on YouTube. Occasionally, are behind us here on set. You can find them on Twitter at Living Cards MTG. All right, everybody, thanks for watching, and keep playing underrated cards. Peace. Bye bye.